I'm Ed Randall, and you're listening to Baseball and Barbecue. This is Greg Lazinski, and you're listening to Baseball BBQ. Hi, this is Gary Mack of the Mets Musings Podcast, and you're listening to Jeff and Len on Baseball and Barbecue, one of my favorite podcasts, and I know it's one of yours, too. The only problem is, after I get done listening to it, I'm hungry. All right, guys, take it away. Welcome to episode number 58 of Baseball and Barbecue. I'm here with my favorite co-host, Jeff Cohen. I happen to be your only (laughs) co-host, but thank you, Leonard. Now, this is a little (laughs) unusual because we're, for the first time, we are not recording sitting next to each other. No, we're not. We are Zooming it. Thanks to the coronavirus pandemic, we are in separate locations. And let me say, before we get started with the rest of the podcast, we hope everybody is you know, staying safe and, and practicing all the social distancing and washing hands and all that stuff. Just be well. Yeah, as a matter of fact. All right. So we, we have a lot to talk about. Welcome, everybody. We do. We hope you're all well. If you didn't notice... And Jeff did such a great job with it. Um, I'm assuming that nobody did notice. I was absent from episode 57, which if you haven't listened to it yet, you got to listen to it. Jeff did a fantastic interview with none other than Jared Diamond, who is the baseball writer for the Wall Street Journal and has written an excellent book called Swing Kings, especially now with everybody you know, quarantined and just inside and looking for things to do. It's a great book. Even uh, Tyler Kepner of the New York Times suggested it in his column. So if you're a baseball fan and you uh, have some time on your hands, get a copy of this book. You, your interview with him, Jeff, was fantastic. Thank you, Len, but I wish you were there. I do too. And I want to tell everybody why I wasn't there. Okay. Because I think that it's important for people to know, for anybody that's taking this coronavirus pandemic lightly, please don't. I had it. I was one of the the ones they couldn't test because I was not high risk. So they couldn't give me the test because I wasn't considered high risk. They tested me for the flu and they said I was negative for the flu and I should assume that I had the coronavirus. And let me tell you something, I had it, and it was awful. And I've told Jeff all about this. It's everything they say. It's like having the flu, but magnified by like 10 times or more. And I did not have it where I had to be hospitalized. The thing is, everybody's talking about, how's your breathing? How's your breathing? And they're all saying, if your breathing is bad or you have issue with your lungs, you have to go to the hospital right away. So you're really, you're lying there, you're scared because you think any minute you're going to have an issue with your breathing. But the chills, the fever, the loss of appetite, I lost like 13 pounds, not a diet I recommend for anyone. And it's very real. So I don't know, you know, where I got it. It can, it happens, it can happen to anyone. So just, I, I think most people are taking it seriously. But I want everybody to know that that's why I wasn't on the podcast. Jeff did a fantastic job. I'm very happy to be back. 
and please take this seriously. Okay. I wish all of you the safest uh, days. Leonard, we all, we're all happy you're back. We're glad you recovered from it. But unfortunately, not all of everybody is taking this seriously. I mean, I've seen on the news people still gathering. In fact, I read in the newspaper today, and we're recording this on April 12th, that Dak Prescott of the Dallas Cowboys held a party you know, with 30 or more people. I mean, it, these celebrities not take not everybody's taking it seriously. I know he's a right. celebrity. I just want to point them out that just as an example, some people are not taking it seriously, and they really should. Yeah, I was in and the this supermarket st- the other day. I have my mask on. I have gloves on. I seen mm-hmm. people with no masks and no gloves, and they're just they're not. Then people really should take it seriously. Right, and it could happen to anyone. I mean, you see. Boris Johnson, of course, you know, got it, right? He was released Um, today, by the way. Yes. But, and and I'm just saying, and it's happening. I'm telling people about me. And now I'm getting more and more people saying either they had it, a family member had it, someone on their street had it. And unfortunately, I'm also, when I'm talking to people about it, they're also telling me about people they know who, who died from it. And that's, yes. this is serious as anything. And it, it doesn't know age. It, it attacks anyone. And I was lucky because it didn't attack my lungs. But that's what happens. A lot of people, it's attacking their lungs. Yeah, we and all, that's we all, where the issue. We all know somebody who, who, who has it and, and we wish them, you know, recovery. And uh, we, we, we feel sad for those who, who didn't make it. But Len, let's yes. go on to some better things. Yes, let's talk baseball and barbecue, which we love to do. Yes. Uh, later on, we're going to have an interview with Mark Healy, who wrote Gotham Baseball. It's a book about the best New York baseball players. We're talking about all four teams, the Giants, the Dodgers, Yankees, and Mets. And, and, and Mark Healy wrote a, wrote, wrote a terrific book. He put together an all-star team, and we, uh, we can debate some of the, the players on it. Yes, and he wants that. He and, wants right. It's not to end debates; it's really to start debates. And right. it was a really terrific book. So, I, yeah, we're gonna get we're gonna play that interview in a little while. But first, Len, I want to talk to you about a, a Twitter war that, I, that I'm in. Oh, okay. Let <laughs> Jeff Co- Jeff Cohen, Twitter war. Go, 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 go. So, Len. I follow this guy. His, his Twitter name is Baseball Brit, and he can be found at, at Baseball Brit. And on April 9th, he put on a tweet. And normally I just go by these tweets. I look, I look at some of their sponsors, I laugh, and some of them are stupid. But this one I felt, you know, let me, let me engage. Okay? <laughs> okay. And he said, please quote tweet this with your most controversial baseball opinions. So. Me, having a, a strong baseball opinion, I wrote, <laughs> and I know, look, I know people disagree with me. That's why I wrote this. It's a controversial baseball opinion. Mariano Rivera should not have been in a unanimous selection to the Hall of Fame. And boy, did I get lambasted with that. I mean, there were people who really gave it to me. I mean, some people agreed, but some people really, I mean, the, the ritual, the hatred, I mean, they just came back with insults. Not any reason why they disagree with me, just, just insults. Some people say <laughs> he wanted controversial opinions, not bat blank, stupid opinions. <laughs> Some else, someone else wrote, you know, against, controversial, not, not dumb opinions, not stupid opinions. 
I mean, some people agree with me. I mean, if one guy wrote, and this is, you know, he wanted, to, he wanted to say something, which is fine. He wrote something to the effect that what I meant to say is he should not have been the first unanimous player to be selected to the Hall of Fame. That is a, a good opinion. I never said he should not have been a Hall of Famer. I right. never said that. I just That's said he should right. not have been unanimous. And, well, and the, the, uh, the hatred, the insults that came my way is unbelievable. What do you think? So my opinion on the Hall of Fame, and we've, we've, we've talked about this before, is this. You have the ability to select 10 people. If this person comes up, it, it's five years, they're now eligible. You don't have 10 people that you want to put before this person, then there is no reason why you don't vote for the person. You don't skip over them because it's their first year. My opinion and I've said this numerous times, if a guy's a Hall of Famer, he's a Hall of Famer. He's a Hall of Famer the first year, he's a Hall of Famer his 10th year. He doesn't go from being a Hall of Famer one year to the next year he's not a Hall of Famer. And he doesn't go from not being a Hall of Famer to all of a sudden being a Hall of Famer. Right. His stats don't change. Now, Mariano is a Hall of Famer. So if I don't have 10 people, you know, if I have 10, but there weren't 10 that I felt were more eligible. I put him down, first ballot, that's it. But based on what I'm saying, I would have had numerous guys in the Hall of Fame unanimously years ago, because I wouldn't have been one of those, oh, it's his first year, I can't vote for him. If he's a Hall of Famer, he's a Hall of Famer. Now I understand that there are guys in the Hall of Fame at different levels because you know there there's guys in the hall of fame that are not lou gehrig that are not babe ruth they're not on that level i get that but those guys didn't get in first ballot either so i don't know how to differentiate the right. guys well the level. You know, when joe dimaggio isn't first ballot yogi bear isn't first ballot you know right well some let me read you some of these responses I yes. mean, it, one says, trying to insult me, thank you for playing Mr. Met. Okay, <laughs> very funny. Somebody says, I'm right. Another one says, no unanimous selection for relievers. And one, another insult was, I didn't realize 80 years old were on Twitter. Okay, thank you very much. Wow. <laughs> but one so guy he's wrote, calling you boomer. <laughs> yeah, I know, exactly. One guy wrote, you can take the case that there are too many relievers in the Hall of Fame, which I agree with. But it's absurd to say that Mariano Rivera isn't Hall of Fame worthy simply because he's a reliever. He pitched 60 times a year with the game on the line and succeeded nearly every time. Now, I never said he wasn't a Hall of Fame worthy. Right. I just said he should not have been unanimous. Right. But these are the people who, you know, it's just funny. You know, I used to watch uh, on the late night TV show, they had like mean tweets where celebrity would read the mean tweets directed toward them. This is like kind of what that is. I didn't engage after my tweet. I did not say anything to, you know, get into a war with these people because <laughs> it just wasn't worth it. <laughs> But just the stupidity well, out there is unbelievable. All right, so here's my question. Let's say, which we're both not writers, we, we don't have a vote. But let's say you're a voter. You get your ballot. You look at the ballot, and this year there's only three people that you say are Hall of Famers. The rest of them, the only way they're getting in is with a ticket. All right? right. Mariano is one of those three. It's right. his first year of eligibility. You feel he belongs in the Hall of Fame. Even though your stance on relievers, and even though we, we all know all that, do you vote for him? I will vote for 10 other guys before him. Okay. So <laughs> you will purposely not put him in 
the Hall of Fame. Well, I, I'm biased against relievers, and we can debate that another time. Right, but so you will not put you will you won't put him in. Well, I guess with the changing times, with the relievers being more part of the game, which I look, I, I think relievers who pitch one inning every other day is like a kicker in football. That's a debate for another time, which we we don't want to run out of time here. Okay, so right. Jeff, before I forget, there's something that I wanna that I wanna say too. Right now, of course, businesses are struggling. The restaurants are struggling. We have gone to Manny Vuvarakis Smokehouse Barbecue in Garden City was nice enough to host one of our episodes. And we sat there. And we ate barbecue with him. Fantastic barbecue. They are open for takeout and delivery. I saw on their website and curbside pickup and you know delivery or whatever. That's Smokehouse Barbecue in Garden City. So if you're in the Long Island area and you're looking for uh, a meal, use them because I'm sure that the, all the restaurants that we know are hurting. So Yes, and, was, and Len, yeah. I want to also say that he's been very generous and he's been donating food to hospitals while, while they're caring for patients as well. Wow, yeah. So that's, that's excellent. Yeah, so I just, yeah, so just to mention that. Okay, Leonard, I want to mention that if you disagree with my stance or you uh, want to get into a conversation, give us a call, 516-855-8214. Email us, baseballandbbq at gmail.com. You can tweet us. Our Twitter address is at baseballandbbq. Follow us. Rate us, please. That would be welcome. We have our Instagram account at baseballandbarbecue. Barbecue is all spelled out. And we have a website, www.baseball and bbq.weebly.com where all our other episodes are on there. So Leonard, what's next? Yes. Well, the other thing is you mentioned that we're going to have Mark Healy on. Okay. As we're, this is a very strange way to do a podcast. I mean, our way of doing it is usually strange anyway, because we're not a fancy uh, podcast. We don't have some fancy studio, but this is new for us doing it by Zoom. We're recording this. Then we're doing an, uh, the interview with Mark Healy. We are also going to have someone from the world of barbecue. We have put out some feelers. It's going to be a surprise. So I guess we'll edit in who, who we're going to have at this point, right? We'll okay. have to edit that in <laughs> because right now we're not sure. <laughs> Last weekend, I, I cleaned out my barbecue. I did a nice cleaning. I took apart the grill, flavor risers, the bars underneath that, gave a nice cleaning, used the barbecue cleaner. Say, wait, say which, so you mentioned flavorizer bars, mention which grill you have. For I have the Weber Genesis. Right, okay. Series. It's a three burner grill. It's I a Weber, need, that's, that's my Weber, point. It's Weber, yes. Right. I need to do the pit barrel as well, which I might right. get actually to today. Yeah, so this is a good time to, you know, people stuck at home, clean out your grills. Well, I'm going to tell you, yes, it is a good time because I also did the same thing. My flavorizer bars, and you know, it's Weber makes fantastic product. And we are not, uh, unfortunately, <laughs> we're not supported by Weber, but our opinions are our own. They make fantastic grills. It is outside and even with a cover on and the things don't last forever. My flavorizer bars were rusting. And then finally, they started getting holes in them. Now, the flavorizer bars go over the, the, the bars that have the holes in them where the fire comes out of. All of a sudden, I see fire 
like spurting out of the flavorizer bars. So I also, I got new flavorizer bars and yesterday I cleaned my grill as well. That's good. But the pit barrel, let's go back to the pit barrel. Okay. A week before I got sick, and if you remember, I, things were starting to go a little crazy and I was looking for some normalcy. So I went to BJ's and picked up a couple of packages of ribs. Actually, you were with me when we went. Remember the lines were all the way to the back. Oh yeah. And I made ribs and then, you know, I made them in the pit barrel. Then because it was just a crazy week, I didn't get to clean it out as far as the, you know, the coals and stuff. So I did that yesterday too. So it was like three weeks since I cleaned it out. And you know what? Easy, easy as anything to clean out the pit barrel. You take out the basket, dump the coals. If you have the bottom thing, you could, uh, there's a plate, right? You, you can take that off. The only thing is you have to just scrape it because they start to, it sticks to it. Okay. And, and then you just take it and you, you dump out the ash. But I said, you know, like, I, I think uh, I like to hose it down every once in a while. I didn't hose it down yesterday, but it's easy to clean out. Okay. That's, but that's not a pit barrel. That's for any barrel type smoker. Cause you have, yeah. to clean out I mean, well, I don't, if there's, they're in the barrel smokers if you there's not going to be anything electronic or anything in it you know it's yeah it's a barrel so yeah all all barrel smokers are easy enough to to clean out i'm sure but this is this is the pit barrel that you're talking about right, right very simple really easy to clean out make the food is fantastic on them again we're not sponsored by them but love that company we'd like to be <laughs> yes you have noah glanville's listening and he has some extra coin he wants to, you know, put into a podcast. <laughs> hey, we'll do it. But love that product. It, you know, makes fantastic. Where do you make your ribs now? I do it in the pit barrel. Right. So simple. Yeah. But I haven't done that since the summer. Yeah. Well, I'm telling you, it just, I needed that. Things were just so crazy. I just wanted to have, to me, barbecuing is just, it's relaxing. Right. I've spoken with our guests. Remember, we, we, I, I asked the guests, why do you think that barbecuing is becoming so big? And my theory is, I think, you know, it's always been big, but it's becoming bigger, is because it's just, it's, it's not something you can rush. And so you, you have to slow down. You can't just put that rack of ribs in and in a half hour, an hour, have a meal. And I think that's just part of it. So I needed that. Actually, that was the last last meal I had really before I got sick. But Len, what else do you have in the world of barbecue? Well, in the world of barbecue, there's a couple of there's some of our former guests and as we as we know, friends of the show that have had some great success in in the barbecue world. So first, Ray Sheehan of Barbecue Buddha, love his product, love his sauces, love his rubs. He just won an award. For, I believe for his sauces and rubs. And I know that he has a book coming out uh, on Amazon. I believe April, it's either April 14th or 15th, but you could go on to Amazon to buy it. It's called Award-Winning Barbecue Sauces and How to Use Them. We're hoping to get Ray on. And also our friend Sean Ludwig and Ryan Cooper of the Smoke Sheet and NYC Barbecue also won an award. Yes, they were awarded first place in the digital media for best BBQ blog from the National Barbecue and Grilling Association 
2020 NBBQA Awards of Excellence. So I guess we know who to attach our uh, wagons to or whatever the expression is, yeah. <laughs> or ride the coattails of or whatever. We know the people to know. Yes, we do. If you can't be the best, make sure you befriend the best. <laughs> <laughs> and again, Jeff, before we get to Mark Healy's interview, I, I don't want to forget, your interview with Jared Diamond was excellent. Thanks. It really was. And it was a, it, it's a very interesting subject. Yes, it, it really is. You know, the whole how everyone's uh, developing their swings and these people that you never heard of and they, and just how, you know, it's becoming right. such... It wasn't right? just about the ball being juiced and the ballparks being smaller. Well, I'm sure it had something to do with it, but it was more about these fringe players reinventing their swings. We, he talked about Justin Turner, Marlon Bird, a couple other ones who, uh, who came back from being down in the dumps to, you know, being... Justin Turner is a superstar now. Right. Yeah, you can't, you can't, and you can't blame the Mets for trading Justin Turner. Mets. Oh, no. No. You know, I mean, that's, there's a lot of things that, you know, trades and things. I heard another thing before I forget. So we're using Zoom. Thank you to Gary Mack of yes. Mets Musings and the Baseball Talk Show, uh, Baseball Talk Radio Show. Radio Show. He is such a friend to us. He helped us. We tested this out with him. He gave us pointers. So Gary Mack, you're the best. And thank you very much for your help. All right. Absolutely. Thank you, Gary. Now, the other thing with the baseball. So I think I heard you on, I don't know what show you were on, but you were talking about, or, or somebody was saying that the Kellenick trade, Jared Kellenick to- uh, oh, That was Gary's show. Okay. Next music. All right. And you guys were talking about how, you know, it's done already and let's stop talking about it. I cannot get over that trade. I still, Diaz and Cano, I just, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. And especially now, who knows if this season is going to start or what it's going to look like. If they miss a year, that means Cano is a year older. Diaz is a year older. But Kellenick's going to be in his prime. And if he's the, the player that they say he is, oh, that trade is going to haunt us for a long time. Well, Len, I, I, I agree with you for the most part. But let the kid have it uh, at bat above, triple, above double A first. <laughs> if the Mets do win the World Series this year, next year, or the year after, and, and, and Diaz is a big part of it, Right. It might be worth it. You know, could have been worth it. So, D okay, right. Diaz Diaz might be a big part of it, but let's let's face it. Even even if the season started as scheduled this year, was Cano going to be a big part of the Mets success? No, that, that, I break that trade down to two different trades. It was really uh, it was really trading Cano for uh, Jay Bruce and uh, there okay. was a, a pitcher involved and then the other part of the trade was was Diaz and, and Kellenick. It is what it is. We can't keep rehashing it. I mean, I know, but I can't help it. I, well, one, I haven't really gotten to talk about it. So this is, you know, well, maybe I've talked about it, but I just, whatever. Okay. All right. Now, another thing, talking about relievers, 
you saw the picture, and I'm sure tons of people have seen the picture of Yankees closer, Araldis Chapman. Yes. Is he jacked or what? He, he's jacked, and he's one pitch away from uh, really tearing a muscle because he's too jacked. He's, I mean, I he couldn't have flexibility. Yeah, I, I couldn't believe that, that picture. Right. I mean, I just – what is it with these guys? That, so this is why – now I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to jump around. Okay. But Noah Syndergaard just had Tommy John surgery, right? Okay. Yep. I heard you guys talk about, you know, whether he should have had it or not, or, you know, whether it was the surgery during this time. But he had it. Now, Noah Syndergaard – and Tommy John surgery is no guarantee. But we know it, it's more successful usually than not. Okay. Right. But still, with these pitchers – you know, Noah Syndergaard was always lifting weights and whatever. We know the one year he hurt his lat. You know, I think he he was also jacked, right? Yes. What these guys? I think pitchers now you you can't even go season to season thinking you're going to have them on your staff. It's crazy. They, they just you know, if you get a year out of them, that's there's got there's got to be a, a median be, between being jacked. Right. Like uh, Chapman and, and Syndergaard. And like being, you know, out of shape like Bartolo Colon. There's got to be some, some medium there. Right. And yet Bartolo Colon, look how he pitched. Yes. Okay. Never, never got hurt. I mean, he had the PhDs, but, right. you know. Yes, you're, you're absolutely right. Now, he was, you know, he and Nolan Ryan, and I'm not comparing Bartolo Colon to Nolan Ryan, but... I'm only comparing them in the fact how long in age, you know, how old they were, that they were still pitching. They were both freaks of nature as far as that goes. Right. But look at these guys. Tom Seaver, well, that, he, came, he pitched from the legs. Well, well, well Tommy John, he wasn't uh, jacked. And, he, you know, he, he pitched before his surgery and after his surgery. He right, pitched right. Over, he pitched over 20 right. years. Right. Now, as far as the Tommy John, what? A lot of examples of that. Right. With, with the, I mean, the Tommy John surgery, I guess, I guess it's, they're all, it seems like every pitcher goes through it now. Is it they're not pitching correctly? I mean, it just, I don't know. But there, it, it definitely has to do with the fact they're throwing as hard as they can. For as long as they can. They don't pace themselves. Right. They don't know how to pitch. They throw. There right. Very few pitches like Greg Maddox going forward. Very few. Right. right. And yeah. Greg Maddox, uh, he, he won 100, 356 games. Didn't throw the hardest, but 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 the teams don't look for that guy anymore. They want no. power, power, and power. Right. And what about Tommy Glavin? Right. Tom Glavin. Tommy Glavin, another one. But and that so that staff that that Atlanta Braves staff, if we're talking about pitchers. You can rely on them every year. You had Smoltz, you had Glavin, you oh, had Smoltz, Maddox. Smoltz did throw the hardest of the three, and he did have right. the surgery. Right. He went yeah. to be a reliever for a couple of years. True. And then came True. back to be a, a starter. But you knew you were going to have that staff. I mean, you look at, you look at these guys now, and uh, like Syndergaard, you thought he was having a good spring. Yep. And the next thing you know, you hear he's, he's got a torn ulnar uh, nerve, whatever, the, you know, with the ligament. Right. It needs Tommy John surgery. Right. You really, when, when they talk about, too, the, the pitchers, like with the Mets this year, 
where they got Waka and um, uh, uh, the other. Right. And they were like, well, who's going to be in the bullpen and whatever? And you need to start your season with like seven or eight starters. You you never have enough pitching. Yeah. You You never never have enough. No. And now, because I see when I saw Chapman, and I was like, what? At first, I was like, who is that? It's like, how could I didn't. He's like a bodybuilder. Yeah. You know, I can't imagine one of these bodybuilders getting in there and, and throwing. Too but tough. that's what he looks like. He's too jacked. Yeah. Seems to me. Yeah. I mean, he only pitches, you know, he comes in, pitches one inning. Oh, right. and this year, you know, we were supposed to have all the rule changes too with the, you know, pitching to at least three batters or was it three? Yeah. Um, I think that's still. Uh, I think that's still the plan. But you know what's not in the plan? They're not going to uh, the London series is canceled. They, okay. I don't think they're doing the All Star game. Right. I don't think they're going to do that Iowa that Field of Dream game. That's. Oh, uh, that's too happening. bad. Yeah. I know there's a couple of teams that are supposed to go to Puerto Rico or Mexico. That's not happening. Right. Very going to be very strange year. We'll see how they uh, actually come yeah. up with a, with a plan if. They come up with a plan. Every every uh, day that goes by, I'm being a little more pessimistic about being having a season. Yeah, and you, you know, know as far Len, Len, that one that one player who comes down with flu-like symptoms, mm-hmm. that's going to be will that cause panic? It might. It might. It might cause panic. And you know, as far as the rule changes, it might kind of like if I'm the commissioner. I'm thinking, you know what, the rule changes, let's put a, a halt on them or whatever. Let's put, you know, they're going to have to do something as far as the roster anyway. You know, they're not going to, if they do the season, you know, they're not going to have 25, 26, whatever it was. I think it was going to be 26. Yeah. They're going to have to have like 30, uh, a 30-man roster or something. Because first of all, the minor leagues are going to just be starting up. So how if a player gets hurt or something and they need to bring someone up, where are they bringing them from? Good point. You know, so I think their roster is going to have to be larger than usual. And I think because it's going to be a shortened season and there's going to be so much confusion to begin with, whether it's playing it, you know, in Arizona and Florida and wherever and not having the, I saw something about the divisions being different and the leagues, whatever, they're going to be doing different things. I think these rule changes are just going to add to the confusion. Well, it's going to be an experiment. This could be the, the year of the experimental baseball, I guess, because there's a lot of things that's, as, that's not going to be normal. I will tell you that I think Korea is starting up their baseball league now. I think really? they're starting their, uh, you know, people, please check me out on that. I'm, I might not be sure, but I'm looking on Twitter, and that, that guy, Baseball Bread, he posted a, you know, someone <laughs> hits the first home run of 2020 at the uh, <laughs> stadium. But it looks like it's the Korean Pro League. You love following that guy, don't you? I what hope he comes on our show one day. Hey, Baseball Brit, give us a call. 516-855-8214. Email us. Baseball at BBQ at gmail.com. We'd love to have you on. Well, why don't you, why don't you tweet, tweet him and, and ask him to come on? All right. You have a, you have a relationship, a love-hate relationship <laughs> with him. Well, I follow him. I don't know if, I don't know if he follows me. But, but he'll see the tweet. I, well, he responded I to you, right? No, he did not respond. Other people responded. Oh, to other people. Other responded. people were insulting okay. me through his tweet. <laughs> oh, so okay. So you know, I. So he probably saw. I mean, <laughs> he probably said, what, "What did I start?" <laughs> <laughs> he started a Twitter war. Oh.
well, you know what? You were bored. You know, you, yeah. I mean, how much working from home and you, you gotta, you gotta have some excitement. That's right. Go ahead. People insult me. That's exciting for me. And now here's our interview with Mark Healy. Gotham Baseball, New York's all-time team, written by Gotham Baseball founder and executive editor Mark Healy. In the book, Mark Healy picks the Gotham Legends roster of ballplayers from the Brooklyn Dodgers, New York Giants, New York Mets, and New York Yankees. The forward is written by best-selling author and baseball historian Marty Appel, and the illustrations, which I've got to say is great, by John Panisi. He's the official artist of the New York chapter of the Baseball Writers of Association. Welcome to Baseball and BBQ, Mark Healy. Thank you so much, guys, for having me. I really appreciate it. You know, Jeff, the one thing you didn't mention in, in the intro, and uh, I'm going to start with this because I always like to do a little off the cuff, is, Mark, you seem to have, and it's in the book, so I'm not saying anything that people can't read about, you have a propensity for getting mugged. What's, what's, uh, what's wrong <laughs> with that? I don't know. I guess it's just my... Uh, just my energy. I guess I, uh, I'm muggable. <laughs> for, for those who haven't read the book, and now's the point where Jeff and I gush over it, because, and we're going to get into this. What a book. Fantastic book. Gotham Baseball. Loved it. In the book, Mark in, twice in New York was mugged, and then once when he went out to California. So uh, trifecta for getting mugged. Yeah, well, look, uh, thank you for the really nice words. Um, it's really, it really, you know, uh, this, this was a labor of love, this book, and uh, to hear people uh, say how much they liked it is incredible. It really is uh, very gratifying. Thank you. Yes, you were very, you, you really, you're very personal in the first couple of chapters. You know, you really, you, you, your love for your family, your friends, and, and, and your work is just, just really comes out. Really well, you know, it, it's funny. Um, Marty Appel did the foreword. And uh, Marty is someone that uh, I've known for a long time. He's been a mentor to me. He's a best-selling, best-selling author. He's a, a baseball historian, uh, very involved with the Hall of Fame and, and does a, an incredible amount of work in baseball. And his book, Now Pitching for the Yankees, um, was kind of an inspiration for me to do those first two chapters in that way. Because um, in his book, Now Pitching for the Yankees, he talks about, you know, growing up and, you know, it's funny, we both worked at the same radio station, of course, like 20 years apart at WRKL up in Rockland County. But it, it just, it spoke to me when he wrote it that way. And not that I'm comparing myself to Marty Appel in any way, shape or form, but that appealed to me because I felt like I wanted to tell my part of the story of Gotham before I got to the team itself. And maybe people would connect with it uh, in a way that maybe they wouldn't with just a book that was, uh, you know, just, just kind of little biographies about players. When I'm reading this book, it's written very informally. It's like we're having a conversation. You write, it's, it does, it's like, it, it informs. I learned a lot from it. But at the same time, it's like we're just conversing. You're, you're not, it, it's not like just stats being thrown at you. You, you write it like, like you're talking to me. And, and I just, I love that, that, that way that you write it. Did, did you realize that as you were writing it or did it just well, come out? Honestly, that's the way I write. You know, when I, when I am not, um, it used to get me in trouble all the time at Associated Press, believe me, because <laughs> they're very... <laughs> 
very dry, just the facts, but um, that's the way I write. I, I, because it is a conversation, you know, I love to talk baseball and I love to tell stories. And I felt that because baseball is my passion and because baseball history, I love it so much that I wanted to share it with the reader. Does that make sense? Like I wanted to share the stories rather than just kind of dictate. I mean, I know you guys have read books where you, you know, you come away from it like, yeah, I liked it, but I wish I had gotten this out of it. Or, you know, I like when I read a baseball book, I want to have learned something, right? Oh, yeah. But in the sense that, you know, then I could then go to someone like you guys and say, hey, I just read this book and I learned A, B, and C. And that's what I wanted to kind of convey to the reader. Like, I'm sharing these stories with you. And so the conversational tone, it wasn't, it wasn't my intent. It was just, it's just the way I write, you know, when I'm writing about something that I love. So that's, you know, kind of why it came off that way. Well, it works. Well, let, let's get into it. Uh, as Marty Appel wrote, he said, it's, it's like going to foster a good debate. So we're going to have a little fun here because uh, there's some de- definitely things I, I learned in here, some things I'd like to uh, question you about. Sure. We're not going to give the Jeff? whole roster because we want people to get the book. But let me just Jeff, read Jeff, wait, wait, well, wait. I know you're going to, wherever you're going, I just want to say, Mark, we may not realize because there's no baseball. But today is Jackie Robinson Day. You even mentioned that in the book. Right. April 15th, it's Jackie Robinson Day. So just wanted to mention that. Now, go to town. Uh, Len, you you kind of read my mind. Because I was going to say, today we're recording this on um, Jackie Robinson Day. And as we know, Jackie Robinson is the first uh, African-American in 1947 to play in the major leagues. But you wrote in a book that you thought uh, that Matthew Irwin, Irwin could have been the first. And... You know, we actually guest on a couple months ago named Jeremy Beer, who wrote on, on Oscar Charleston, and he claimed that uh, Roy Campanella could have been the first. Uh, so why well, don't you give uh, your reason why uh, Matthew Irwin could have been the first? Well, it's not my reasoning. It was, uh, it was, uh, uh, it was fact. I mean, okay. I did research. If you read the chapter, I did the research, yep. uh, extensive research on Monty Irvin. Monty Irvin's always been one of my favorite baseball characters and my one of my very few regrets in life is that I did not I did not act upon what could have been several opportunities to interview him before he passed it, it's a, it's it, it's a matter of fact I mean if you go uh, even the um, there was a vote in the Negro Leagues I believe it was 1944 1945 where uh, they voted that the most uh, the most um, you know, the person that they wanted to be the first was Monty Irvin. He had everything. He had the military background. He was a, you know, and I'll take Buck O'Neill's word for it, not mine, because I didn't see him play. I had the pleasure of interviewing Buck O'Neill. And he said that, you know, it was, he was the perfect baseball player. You know, that Monty Irvin was Willie Mays before Willie Mays. He was, you know, this, this, you know, fluid power average fielder he had everything that you could possibly want in a baseball player but world war ii intervened and then he had this i believe it was an inner ear uh imbalance that uh and and really to his credit my Irvin told branch ricky i i can't be the first because i am no good to you right now because i can't even stand up straight and and really 
um, you know, just a matter of circumstance really, like really robbed Monty Irvin of being the first. And who knows, you know, I, I always believe in fate. Things happen for a reason. Maybe, you know, who knows if Monty would have been able to handle what Jackie went through, you know? So um, I think it's very fitting. I think even if you asked Jackie if he was here today, uh, he would have been probably one of the first ones to tell you that Monty would have been the first, just based on his ability and based on, you know, what he brought to the table. He fit a lot of the same things that Branch Rickey wanted out of Jackie, someone with a military background, someone who had the inner fortitude to put up with whatever he was going to be faced with. And so, you know, it was one of my favorite chapters to read. And, and it was also the chapter, the first chapter of the book that I wrote, uh, because that was the, that was the chapter that I sent to all the publishers as the book proposal. That was the book proposal chapter. So I'm really proud of it. And he definitely was a, a great, great baseball player. Yeah, yeah. he was amazing. And what? And, and then he said something, uh, Mark. He said because uh, he broke into the majors at age thirty, right? Was he thirty? Right. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And he said something, and this is why I'm I'm asking you to to say it. Something like, "This is not even my best," or "I was better," or what? What was he? He was referring to the past you know, years. Well, sure. Because he, because he was, you know, he was at 19 years old, he was phenomenal, you know, I mean, and the war, uh, he wasn't the same after the war. And then, you know, the, right. um, you know, and then he had that terrible injury, his ankle injury that, 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 you know, robbed him probably of another at least season of greatness. Uh, but, uh, he was, you know, he was a pretty, you know, really special player. And I hope that, if anybody takes anything away from this book that they realized how special of a player Monty Irvin was. He definitely was. Could you tell us your starting staff is obviously great, but a lot of people don't know who Dazzy Vance was. Could you tell well, us about I, him? It, it's funny. I, I, uh, it's it, when I was on with John Jastrzemski on WFAN, he asked the same question. Uh, so you guys are asking the 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 the, the, uh, the really good questions. Okay. Um, I knew who Dazzy Vance, and like I told JJ, you know, I knew who Dazzy Vance was. I knew he was a great player. I knew he was a Hall of Fame player, but I really didn't know anything about him until I started researching this book. The fifth starter sp position was the hardest to fill, um, and I really thought that it was going to be. Uh, either Jerry Kuzman, it could have been Dwight Gooden, it could have been David Cohn, it could have been uh, Red Ruffing. There was a lot of legendary golden age players that could have been in that spot. Or even a guy, like I said, like, like Gooden or Cohn, who had moments of greatness in both uniforms that would have been a very easily uh, marketable sell to put in the book. But I didn't want to write the book that way. You know, I really wanted to discover along with the reader, just how dominant Dazzy Vance was. And when you look at his numbers, he's very similar to the pitcher that I, um, that I compare him to in the book, and that's Sal Magley, in the sense that, you know, really didn't touch greatness until he was 30 years old already, you know, uh, and then dominated the National League for a decade, you know. His strikeout numbers were phenomenal, when you compare it to the rest of the league at that time, mm -hmm. um, he was just a dominant pitcher. The, the, the reason that we all don't know who Dazzy Vance was, or at least we don't know, um, you know, how great he was 
specifically is because he pitched on a lot of garbage teams. And, you know, back then there was no Twitter, there was no, you know, message boards, there was no websites to track, you know, or fantasy baseball to track bad player, uh, great players on bad teams. Right. And, you know, that's really kind of my takeaway that, that, you know, Dazzy Vance was just so, you look at his, uh, if you're going to use, you know, current day analytics, you know, war really, uh, you know, his war number is just astronomical when you compare it to the other players that were in competition for that fifth starter spot. Mark, why, you know, it's very funny. The, the history of baseball in New York with the Brooklyn Dodgers and the, and the New York Giants goes way back. And yet third baseman, the third baseman is, is modern era. I mean, Greg Nettles is, you know, considered modern era. Was there no other, and, and I, I'm trying to think, like, what are the third baseman from way back could be considered? Because So you had Greg Nettles, David Wright, modern players. What about years ago? Was there anybody that could be considered third you base? Know, I, I don't think there was anybody in the same running with those players. You know, third base has never been, you know, some people would say, well, what about, uh, you know, what about um, – you know, Alex Rodriguez, and I, I, I addressed that in the very beginning of the chapter. Yes. And I'm, I'm never going to budge from that. You know, I'll, I'll argue some, you know, I'll argue till the day is over, you know, uh, about uh, that. In my research really, it wasn't really anybody that was more dominant, you know, for more than a season or two. You know, guys had maybe, you know, a couple of seasons here and there over the years, you know, whether it was Jackie Robinson playing third base uh, for moments for the, for the Dodgers, Billy Cox, who my father said was a fantastic fielder uh, for the Brooklyn Dodgers, you know, art, guys like Art Devlin, you know, different guys through, through history played third base. I believe it was uh, Jim Ray Hart for the, for the, for the Giants, uh, different guys that off the top of my head, I'm just thinking about some of my research, but really Nettles, uh, you know, Cleet Boyer was certainly a great fielder for uh, the Yankees and was part of some really great Yankee teams. It really came down to, you know, Wright and Nettles. And, and the difference was, is, as Howie Rose put it perfectly, you know, I think, that not to take anything away from Nettles, who was a really great competitor, a great defender, certainly had great power at that position. But he was never on a Hall of Fame track as a player, whereas David right. Wood. Yeah. And I think people forget just how great and again I'm a little biased in a sense because I covered David when he was in the minors so I saw him like really blossom as a player and saw him become dominant at the major league level uh, almost immediately and you know he really had the the whole package of a player and so for me it really wasn't any other choice I mean and and, and this is someone who Loved the way Nettles played. I mean, he stole the 78 World Series from the Dodgers, uh, you know, with his, with his glove work. But uh, there really wasn't anybody else that stuck out to me, guys, uh, at that third base position that, you know, could compare with either Nettles or, or Wright for an extended period of time. You know, and full disclosure, when I saw that chapter third base, I immediately thought Greg Nettles, and I'm a, a huge Met fan. But I remember Nettles in 77, 78, those, those World Series. And the way your analysis wrote, you wrote in a book is it, it, definitely convincing. David Wright definitely deserved that spot. Well, you know, there's a, a lot of Yankee fans that are going to fight me on that, you know. <laughs> of course. Uh, 
<laughs> but but you know, I, I like I like I said, I talked to a, yeah, I even talked to a lot of Yankee fans, and you know, they may publicly uh, mock me, but privately, you know, they they know that as great as Nettles was. But then there's that World World Series bias that people always talk about when it mm-hmm. comes to New York players, you know, or players that play in a big market that when they shine at the you know on the biggest stage in the postseason that we forget their numbers a little bit and we look more at those performances in those big spots and I don't look I think that those performances in those big spots are huge you know I think that they're definitely something that you know winners write history right it's not the losers that write the history it's the winners so Nettles certainly in the biggest in on the biggest stage you know had some great performances but I think that and David you know certainly did not you know in his in his few chances that he got in in the in the postseason didn't necessarily play at that level but we're not talking about what they did in the World Series or in the playoffs we're talking about what they did over the course of their careers and that's how I tried to really make the selection I'm, I'm gonna get a little controversial here oh I, boy I know I'm in the minority <laughs> I know but that's okay I, I, I should have gone first. <laughs> Mark may I, I hang up on you. Relief pitcher should be into two different eras, the one-inning reliever and the pre-one-inning reliever. Because obviously, Mariano, no doubt, greatest relief pitcher of all time. But he only pitched the one inning. What I remember is Passage and Lyle and, and McGraw pitching three innings to finish the game. So I, I think there should have been at least a demarcation of different eras for the relief pitcher, your thoughts? You know, I thought about having more than one reliever on the team. I thought about it, but at the end of the day, and as much as, you know, look, I, I, I love pitching and I loved, you know, watching guys like McGraw pitch. I loved watching guys like Gossage and, and Sparky Lyle and John Franco and, you know, some of my personal favorites like Chad Bradford and guys like that who, either for one season or for, you know, four or five seasons in New York were, you know, certainly all-star caliber relievers. But at the end of the day, again, Mariano was a guy that I covered from the very beginning of his career. I felt like that he was so dominant and so untouchable. I mean, I don't think anyone's in his class. And I, I, I know that we talk about one-inning relievers and two-inning relievers, but, you know, has there been a pitcher in New York that's had as good a season as Mariano Rivera did in 96 when he wasn't even the closer? I mean, he was ridiculous. And I mean, he was just so dominant. And for all of, you know, the, the, you know, I know John Wetland certainly, uh, you know, did it was wonderful that season, but I think an argument can be made that Wetlands, Wetlands numbers were, were good and he, you know, he was the World Series MVP, but really at the end of the day, the most valuable guy on that team, in my opinion, in 96 was Mariano Rivera because he really was just unbelievable. When you think about where he came from and where he wound up, just so dominant that I didn't really want to muddy the waters by inter- introducing any other relievers because as you know Gossage is a Hall of Famer you know I know John Franco thinks he's a Hall of Famer and and and, you know Tug McGraw certainly you know was a fantastic pitcher and character I just don't think any of those guys are in Mariano's class. Hannah? The book is called Gotham Baseball New York's all-time team 
And one of the things, and we're speaking to the author, Mark Healy, uh, enjoying this immensely. You put Jeff in his place. Thank you. Uh, <laughs> no, I didn't. I was very nice. <laughs> no, you were very good. You were very good. Um, Mark, again, uh, in this book, is the stories. I loved when I was reading about Double... Well, it wasn't actually a chapter on Double Day. I don't even know which chapter it was now. It was on but, Joan Payson, the Joan Payson. Yeah, company. Joan Payson. Yeah, because you talk about the, the greatest owner in New York. You talk about the greatest GM in New York. And I loved how Doubleday was involved with this CB radio uh, club. Yeah. Now, a lot of our listeners may not know what CB radios are, so I think you should Google it. But his nickname was Bookworm, and, and it was the Cuckoo's Nest Convoy. And they would meet at McDonald's in the morning. And, and he was with the everyman. And it was just, that story was fantastic. That was worth the book. Agreed. Thank you. Thank you. Um, you know, I came across that little story. Uh, it was written in Fortune magazine years ago. I think it was in the, in the 80s it was written. And, you know, Doubleday was a guy that didn't really like the media. He didn't really like to talk to the media, which is hilarious considering he was in publishing. <laughs> you know? But he was, a, he was the type of guy that, you know, we really never knew him in New York the way that we should have and with the way we could have. And I always felt that between that story and the story that Joe Durso, the late, Joe, the late great Joe Durso wrote in the New York Times, which was, I believe, written in 1985, either the end of 85 or the beginning of 86, talking about how great of an organization that Nelson Doubleday had built as the owner of the Mets. And though I still think that Joan Payson was the greatest owner when you consider that she was a woman, that she bought the team, that she was this great baseball fan and made it possible for all of us Mets fans to have a team you know, that we'll root for forever through our generations. Doubleday is clearly, I make it very clear how uh, wonderful uh, of an owner I think he was and how, you know, it's a shame. I hope that whoever buys the Mets makes, makes it possible for a person like Nelson Doubleday and, and, and definitely certain a person like Joan Payson that they're celebrated more at City Field because they really should be. Let's be honest. Uh, oh, yeah. she, 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 brought us, she brought us our first World Series championship, and, and, and Nelson Doubleday uh, brought us our other one. And, you know, when people say that, people say that Doubleday and Wilpon did it, it's revisionist history. And, you know, uh, again, this is, this is that's, that's a fact. You know, that's not, when Doubleday bought the team, he bought 90%. <laughs> You know, and, and, you know, this idea that it was the two of them that did it, you know, yeah. When he became an equal partner after 86, then we can talk about, you know, Fred Wilpon and his role. But before that, you know, it was, it was, it was double day. It was cash in. It was Davy Johnson and uh, the great uh, amount of talent that they brought to the table. You know, Mark, uh, looking at, at in the catcher position, that must've been the, I, I would think the most difficult chapter to write because of the, such the, the, such great catches in, in New York history with Roy Campanella, Yogi Berra, Bill Dickey. I'm going to throw Jerry Grody in there, Gary Carter. Tell us about how you came up with your uh, your All Star New, New York catcher. Well, you know that was a chapter that I was shocked at how it came about. To be honest with you, 
when we put together, when I put together, uh, along with all my friends in baseball, when we put together the, uh, the Gotham baseball ballot back in, in, 20, in 2011, 2012, I, think, I believe we, we originally put it together, I thought for sure that it would be Yogi Berra, that the people would vote for Yogi Berra because Met fans love Yogi. Yankee fans love Yogi. Casual fans love Yogi. I mean, Yogi's one of those swing state kind of, you know, <laughs> people that everybody loves. You know, you, yes. you'd be hard-pressed to find anybody that has a bad word to say about Yogi. So I thought he would win it, uh, you know, I thought he would win it running away, to be honest with you. Um, and, you know, people thought with me that I put Gary Carter on the ballot instead of Mike Piazza. And I explained in the book why Gary Carter to me was on the ballot. And I, I figured like I did with every other, you know, every other position on the ballot, I had a write-in candidate. Anybody could write in who they wanted. And I, you know, people were like, how could, you know, how is Mike Piazza not on the ballot? How is Mike Piazza not on the ballot? And, and again, I didn't think it would matter because I really thought that Yogi was going to win it going away, even though people will argue that Roy Campanella was every bit as good as Yogi, if not better, I still thought that that Yogi would be the guy to win because he had that crossover appeal between the two. It wasn't even close. I mean, Piazza as a writing candidate blew away uh, the field. And so, you know, I had to take that into consideration when I made my final selection. And I told people, you know, that the, the ballot would play a big role in my final decision making. But at the end of the day, you know, I was going to make the decision that I honestly felt was the right one. And when I looked at the numbers and when I looked at the defensive metrics that came into play with Mike, and of course, you know, I witnessed, we all witnessed how great Mike was. I mean, he was a, an incredible player. The fact that he had to wait as long as he did for the Hall of Fame is an absolute joke. You know, just like, well, Gary Carter had to wait eight years too. And he had the same exact career as Carlton Fisk, but Carlton Fisk got in on the first ballot because, you know, he waved at the ball to, to, to right. go fair. Uh, he went over for four, by the way, in game seven, Carlton Fisk. I just thought I'd mention that. <laughs> um, for me, putting Mike on the team, it was tough. You're right. It was, it was a tough chapter, to, tough chapter to write. But it was really kind of the fans that really made that selection. They're the ones that wrote them in. They're the ones that made me look at it. You know, they're the ones that really made me look at what, what's, you know, what's the difference. And as I was doing my research, you know, one of the people, one of the first people I interviewed was Mike Vaccaro from the New York Post. And I was shocked because Mike is a guy that loves history. You know, he loves baseball history. If you've ever read any of his books, the guy knows his stuff. And even he said it, you know, he goes, Mike Piazza might not only be the best inning catcher of all time, he might be the right, you know, the greatest right-handed hitter of all time. Mm -hmm. Like he's right up there. Right. So for him, he, he didn't, you know, cause sometimes I'll, I'll measure, you know, something like that against somebody who I really respect. And I really respect Mike. He didn't even hesitate. He was like, Oh, I think it's a great call you know, to have Piazza as the all-time catcher. So that made it easier. But at the end of the day, I, I really wanted to, you know, be honest with what the fans wanted and really kind of want to, in that instance, really, you know, I really took it to account when I made it my final, made my final decision.
Mark, yeah. could you tell us where anybody can get the book? Can they contact you directly? Go to Amazon? How do, how do people Well, get I, I, I like to leave it up to people where they want to go. They can go to Amazon.com, of course, uh, look up Gotham Baseball. You can get it uh, there in print and uh, as an ebook. Uh, they can go to the uh, publisher, ArcadiaPublishing.com. That's ArcadiaPublishing.com. Uh, they can get it directly from the publisher, or if they want a signed copy, they can contact me at heels9 at gmail.com or go to gothambaseball.com and look for uh, the book, uh, and they'll click on that, and they can email me and get a signed copy, and I'll, I'll send it to them directly. The Mark, wait, I'm oh, sorry, go ahead, Jeff, but I got to ask Mark this. So go ahead. Go ahead, I'm just going to say the book was fantastic. Go ahead, Len. Yeah. Oh, it was. You know, we're doing this Zoom thing, and it's like, <laughs> this is new to us. I see them, but... Right. And, and we want to ask you so many things. One of the one of the other great things about this book is Lou Gehrig. You know, everybody thinks they know everything about Lou Gehrig. So there were a couple of things in the Lou Gehrig chapter. Your stories are great. There was more than this, but Lou Gehrig, two things. One, I never realized, and I should have, Wally Pip was actually a very good ball player. Yes, he was. So he was not some slouch that you know, everybody thinks, oh, he replaced Wally Pip. Wally Pip, you gave his stats, and for the prior four years before Gehrig replaced him, uh, what was he averaging, like 90-plus RBIs every year? He was a great player, Wally yeah, Pip. He really was. Now, he was in a slump. He was in a slump when Gehrig took over. But that, okay, so that was one. Other, I loved that you, this is the conversational part. You called Vincent Flaherty, who I guess is a, uh, was a writer, right, who criticized Gehrig. You called him a dick. Wow. <laughs> I, I've that never was... read a book. I don't think I've ever read a sports book where, where somebody said he was a dick. <laughs> well, you know how you said before about conversational? Right. You know, and I make, I make reference in the first chapter about how we would sit on the stoop in Brooklyn and we would talk about the, the games the night before. Well, that's, that's the verbiage we would use, you know, right. especially if we read something like that, like, you know, and, and really, when you think about it, as I was reading it, when I was doing my research, I had never known that before, you know, about that particular sports writer, that he had gone after Gehrig in such a way. And as, as I'm reading it, you know, I said worse things. I actually edited out <laughs> half of the things that I wrote. <laughs> but um, I'm glad that that uh, resonated with you because yeah, it's certainly, well, uh, you know, <laughs> it was something that, that I just, you, you know. That. I just, I just, that's how I felt when I, when I read it and I wanted to share that with the reader and, you know, I'm sure somebody will be upset by it, but I'm, I'm glad that you got a kick out of it. <laughs> got a kick out of it. That's what I love about this book. As you're reading it, I read it as fast as anything because it just flows and that's the thing. And I saw something like that. I started laughing. That was an LOL as they say these days. <laughs> well, I appreciate it. Thank you so much. Well, Mark, I see we have uh, we're coming up against time here. This was a fantastic book. I re we really appreciate you taking the time to talk to us. Anybody can follow you on. Are you on Twitter that people can follow you? Yes, I'm, I'm on Twitter at uh, Mark C. Healy. That's M-A-R-K-C-H-E-A-L-E-Y. I'm on Instagram at he as Heels9. And, you know, I'm, I'm really on Facebook a lot. I'm also on Facebook at Heels9. So... You know, I love, I love the internet. I love the different platforms. I love interacting with fans. I love interacting with, with guys like you that appreciate the book and the history of the game. And I just, this is a dream come true for me. 
And I'm just glad that so many people are hopping on for the ride. So I really appreciate it, guys. Well, we, we you, appreciate you. And we would like to have you back. So please. Oh, anytime. 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 Thank appreciate you very it. much, Mark. Thank you very Maybe much, I Mark. Could share, I could share my barbecue skills with you guys. Uh, oh, there you go. See? I grilled a nice piece of uh, London broil. I put it on Instagram. So if you guys want to check out my uh, grill skills, you can. Uh... And he puts it on. <laughs> Mark, you and I, were, well, we're cut from the same cloth. <laughs> I'm taking pictures of my girl all the time. <laughs> I love it. Well, hopefully when this pandemic is over, we can have a uh, in-person baseball talk with a uh, barbecue post game. Absolutely. Uh, That'd be great. That would be great. Yes. All right, Thank guys. You, Thank you so much. I Thank really you, appreciate Mark. it. So I heard you on, let me give a plug to Baseball PhD. Not that they need our plug, but you know what? It doesn't hurt. Baseball PhD, they do a great job. What You know, Ed, Ed Kesputis. Yes. Uh, was it Farley? Farley Dillinger and, and Mark Rantler. Right. They do a great job. You were on there, and you were actually talking more about the coronavirus. I was. Um, and you guys were, you know, were really uh, were doing a great job on that, too. You know what, Jeff? You get around. <laughs> whether it's a Twitter war, whether you're on Mets Musings, Baseball PhD, this podcast. I mean, you, you get around. <laughs> Well, this is fun. I, I love doing podcasting. I know. Well, and the good thing is you're always promoting this podcast, yes. so it's good. Yes. Now, the other thing is, with this going on, I have heard that more people, well, obviously people are eating at home more, because even if you, you know, get takeout while well, you, you're having it at home, but I mean, people are eating at home, and they're they're grilling more, they're barbecuing more. That's what I've heard. If you are... You know, just have fun with it and experiment. Like I said, I think today I'm going to make something. I think I might make rotisserie chicken today. I might use the rotisserie. It's easy enough to make rotisserie chicken. You know, I don't make beer can chicken anymore. Exactly. I was going to say that. (laughs) Nope. Nope. Meathead has set me straight. By the way, that interview with Meathead was fantastic. I mean, not to pat us on the back. It was him. It was really him. That was episode 55, which can be found at www.baseballandbbq.weebly.com. Yes. And, yeah. And, of course, on, uh, we're on iHeartRadio. We're on Stitcher. We're on Apple Play, uh, Apple Podcast. I mean, it's amazing how many places this, this goes, and I don't even know how it gets there. But, but he was great, and I love the fact that he wants to come on, back on and talk more barbecue. He's fantastic. And the other one that I that I really enjoyed was when we had Greg Rempe on from the Barbecue Central show. He was great as well. Episode um, 56. Yeah. Another really good barbecue. You know, we had baseball and barbecue on, but he was fantastic. If you guys are, you know, stuck inside, you're not listening on your commute, obviously. Put us on. We we make good background noise, we right? Do. Have us have us on as background noise. And now here's our barbecue interview segment with Lisa Joe Getter, a BBQ guru. Have you ever known someone whose mere name being mentioned brings a smile to your face? Our next guest is just that person. We met her at a barbecue event in Atlantic City, New Jersey, and have been huge fans ever since. 
You have heard her on our show before, and we are so fortunate she is on today, as we all need to smile. Lisa Jo Getter is the Marketing and Fulfillment Coordinator at Barbecue Guru, which is a wonderful source for anyone looking for anything barbecue-related, cookers, access, uh, accessories, sauces, rubs, temperature-control devices, and so many more barbecue-related items, except I happen to see rubber gloves are all sold out. Anyway, welcome to Baseball and Barbecue, Lisa Joe Getter. Thank you so much. You guys are always so gracious, and I love being on the show, and thank you so much for inviting me back. Uh, we're, we're very, very happy that you're back. Yes. So basically, Lisa, we're going to talk tonight about Barbecue Guru. want to talk about how you guys are working now with, you know, with everybody being quarantined, you know, staying at home. And then sometime you're going to have to give us some dirt or controversy on Bob Trudnack and Mo Kaysom. <laughs> <laughs> so that we can, so that we can blow this thing up and just, you know, get a huge amount of listens. <laughs> <laughs> I like it. We can work something out, I think. All right. So tell us, Barbecue Guru, what's going on with you guys during this, this, you know, working from home and everything? Well, we, we are working from home, most of our personnel, on our restricted hours. But we're still here for you, customer service. Our phone lines are open. Emails are getting answered. Our factory is closed, so we're not producing any more product at the moment, but we do have stock on our shelves. So we're doing the best that we can to get all of our customers their needs. And, you know, I have to say it's been great. Our customers have been so kind and understanding during this time and reaching out with kind words and seeing how we're doing over at Guru. And it's been, you know, the best of the situation that, that it possibly can be. Lisa, by the way, the website is bbqguru.com. That's I'm right. looking at it right now, and I see you have a new product, uh, Control and Graph. Could you tell us a little about that? Yes, we, I am so excited. And we launched our new products for pre-order right before everything kind of shut down. And so, Timing couldn't have been worse, and it it was devastating. You know, I'm, I'm not going to lie. This is a project two years in the making, so we've waited a long time, but nothing outweighs the safety of the Guru family, our extended Guru family, and that includes our vendors and, and everything like that. So we're releasing two products, and we're calling them our line of Q Control products and they are in the shape of a Q. So we've got the Dyna Q and we've got the Ultra Q. Now the thing about these controls that make them so special is they have this light ring that gives you visual feedback based on the color and based on what the light ring is doing. You can know exactly what your pit's doing. Is it under temp? Is it at temp? Is it over temp? And it's really a unique feature to the barbecue control world. We've now come out with a brand new app. It's called Barbecue Guru. It will be released on the Apple 
and the Google stores once we start shipping the product. And it's a very slick, clean app that makes it so easy to be able to control your entire smoker over Bluetooth or Wi-Fi. So Lisa, we have, you know, on our podcast, we have some people who are big, uh, you know, barbecue connoisseurs who know exactly what these devices are. And then we have novice people and they'll, they'll write and they'll say, you know, you guys talked about this. What exactly is that? Or that looks cool. Or so these, te- just give us an overview of these temperature control devices and, and how somebody uh, uses them with their smoker. Yeah, that's a great point. So back in 2003, Barbecue Guru created the first ever barbecue temperature controller using an, a fan system. And we use a special algorithm that's tried and true all these years still that is always predicting how to not only get to your temperature, but keep your temperature. So let's say you want to cook at 250. Maybe your cooker's at 250, but that fan is going to come on for just a split second because the control is calculating, okay, we need to feed that fire a little bit of air so we can maintain this temperature. And that's one of the keys, and I mean biggest keys to good barbecue is right. temperature. Now, over the years, we've developed so many different adapters that we can retrofit to pretty much every charcoal and wood burning smoker or grill out there. And we have a variety of different controls. So it really depends on your needs as to whether maybe you're just in your backyard, maybe you're a professional caterer running a restaurant, um, maybe it, you want to be able to get your text messages and emails telling you what your food's doing, what your pit's doing. We have a little bit of everything for everyone. And it's just about finding the right guru that fits what you need. Yeah, if you look at their website, you will see you, you, you go to the temperature controls and then you go to the, it'll take you and you look for your smoker. And there are a ton of them. Uh, I have a Weber Smoky Mountain, and I have uh, the, uh, the pit barrel. And I looked, and both of them have devices for them. And what's great about these devices is if you're doing a long cook, or e- even you want to keep the temperature at an even, like Lisa just said, the even temperature, and it's perfect. You don't have to you know, worry about having to wake up in the middle of the night and going outside and you know doing whatever. It keeps it perfect. So great devices. Thank you so much. Yes, the idea is almost kind of plug and play, like setting your oven and you can catch some sleep at night. I know I've gotten a lot more sleep since (laughs) I started with Barbecue Guru back in 2011. And they're just, they're amazing machines. Lisa, have you heard that people are barbecuing more now because they're stuck at home? Uh, obviously, can't go out to restaurants and, and such. You feel yes, the I am are... definitely seeing that. Okay, great. Um, and I, I think it's a it's a resourceful thing to do. You know, a little bit of good charcoal goes a long way. It gets you outside. You're with your family. You're making food. But I'm definitely seeing 
not only through Barbecue Guru, but even when I'm out and about picking up my essentials, I see people with bags of charcoal. I see people with big cuts of meat. And I think it's just a really great and easy way for people to be able to get out there and feel like they're doing something, catch some of the sun every once in a while. Right. So the monolith, you guys had an event, uh, the monolith monster fest. And you were, if you guys want to see, we have on our YouTube channel, uh, an interview we did with Lisa Joe at the, at the monster fest, you were wearing uh, a costume that was fantastic. (laughs) (laughs) That was great. And everyone was cooking on these monoliths. Now I'm going to promote these monoliths, but are you telling me that there's none available? They're all sold out? Oh, no. They are. Oh, you still have. Okay, you oh, have yes. the monolith. Monolith is still very much available. That's still our partner, our ceramic Kamado. That's German designed. And we met up with them, and we put some of our American technology right into their German-designed ceramic smoker. And it's just been a match made in heaven. You guys have seen it in action. You oh, know yeah. what a machine that is. And oh, yeah. with the convenience of having the fan built right into the side of the ceramic, it doesn't get any easier. Plus, it comes with all of the accessories you could ever need to do any style cooking. And it's, it's just been great. Lisa, Len mentioned the, uh, the Monster Fest, and I know when we talked to you last time, you take a, a, about a month off, then you start planning the next one. So are there plans already uh, in, in place for uh, the next one? Well, we have to see how things play out. Right. Mm-hmm. You know, um, with things being the way that they are right now, I'm not really sure when we'll be able to go back to production. We're hoping to be able to release our new Q controls that we've been taking pre-orders for about five weeks now. We're hoping to still be able to re- uh, release them within the next couple of weeks, but we've obviously hit some minor delays. And once we're able to get the factory back up and running with production, we're just going to be building you know, more products to get out to our customers. So... Uh, right now, it's uh, I would say it's up in the air, but you know what? There's always next year, and it's just it, it's been a strange year so far. So yeah. oh, you could say that again. <laughs> so right now, I'm playing it kind of by ear. Um, I think we all, as we all are, right, right, and we'll see how that plays out throughout the rest of the spring and summer. When we were at the, the, the last Monolith Monster Fest, which was just a fantastic event, so I really, I do hope that there's one, you know, in the future. Everyone that, so there were all these teams cooking on the monoliths for those that unfortunately didn't attend. And everyone that I, we asked about, we asked, what do you think of the monolith? And they loved it. All the teams, and these were teams, some of these teams had some pretty impressive uh, hardware as far as winning some cooking uh, competitions. And they all loved the uh, the monolith. So just going back to that, it's a great, great grill. Thank you so much. You're welcome. Not that I have one. I want one. <laughs> <laughs> and, and eventually I will. But <laughs> so, also, I, I'm looking at the website, and uh, there's also recipes on here, tips. So really great resource. 
Lisa, can you tell us a little more about your website and, you know, are you the one who updates it or, or uh, and, and puts all the content on there? I have played a part in that, of course, uh, with some of the content. I am no techie by any means, so actually putting it up on our site is done by someone else. But what we try to do is have a little bit of everything. So we've got your barbecue basic. How are you going to light your fire? What kind of charcoal are you going to use? What kind of wood do you want to use with a certain meat? And we really want to be able to help the people who are either just beginning or maybe they're curious about taking that next step from a gas grill into a charcoal grill. So we've got the recipes, we've got how-to videos. If you get over to our YouTube channel, channel which is Barbecue Guru, we have tons of videos that teach you how to do various things. And some of them are even cooking videos in addition to how you can use our product to help you with your cook. Two things. One, at Monolith Monster Fest, you met uh, our quasi-producer. We like to call him our producer, Jared Kasten. Yes. When he heard you were going to be on, he said, please tell her hello. Oh, thank you so much. Tell him the same back. Good, I will. And the other thing I want to know is, how's your mom? Because as sweet as you are... I think she might even be sweeter. <laughs> she is. You know, she asks about you all the time. I just spoke to her yesterday, and I and she asked how you were, and I said, you're not going to believe I'm talking to Jeff and Len tomorrow night. So she is a very big fan of yours as well. Oh, that's, yes, that's nice. nice. That's, Jeff, I'm glad the check cleared. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> And the other thing that I wanted to mention is when we were at Monolith Monster Fest, your fiance, right? You haven't gotten married yet, right? No. Okay. He made these incredible, what was it? It was with the, uh, the donuts, the glazed donuts. Yeah. Oh, yeah. The fat, they're what, called Fat Boys. It's yes. a smoked grilled cheese on a glazed donut with bacon and maple syrup. Yes, very, yeah, that's uh very um, what what's Weight Watcher friendly, right? <laughs> <laughs> but they were delicious. They, they were are. Really good. They, it sounds strange, but if you're out there listening, give it a try. It is decadent and to die for. Well, Lisa, we are going to say thank you. Do you have any last words for your many fans, as we are, <laughs> at, yeah. in this whole? I just want everybody to know that we're here for you. We're doing our very best to answer all of your questions, all of your emails in the most timely manner. And we're going to continue to be here for you even as we get through this crazy situation that, you know, none of us could have ever expected. Of course. You know, we're always thinking about our extended guru family. We're so thankful to our customers that reach out and sometimes just say, hey, Lisa Joe, checking in, you know, how are you guys doing? And it, it's the, that, those little things are what's really, really helping me through right now. You know, having the support of the barbecue community and 
and having them there for us and, and, and us doing our best to continue to be there for them. Yes, Barbecue Guru is a fantastic company. When we were there, everybody there makes you feel like, like they know you. And it's just, I've heard such great things about the customer service. I mean, really, you guys, I wish you, you and your family and Bob and Mo and, and the whole, all, everybody there, just the best, stay safe. And we're so glad that you joined us. Oh, thank, thank you, Lisa. You so Absolutely. much. Let me the give you a little plug. Guru is in Warminster, Pennsylvania. Once the, all this pandemic ends, everything opens up, please visit them. If you can't make it to Pennsylvania, Warminster, go to their website, bbqguru.com. Lisa, thank you. Thank we you. Really, we really appreciate it. Yeah, this is uh, such a breath of fresh air. I, I definitely needed this. It's so great to, to be able to see you guys and talk to you guys. Thank and, you. And now I'm going to put you on the spot, Jeff. Uh-oh. This is not even planned. This was not planned. Uh-oh. What do we do? This is not planned, but I have in me, I haven't done this in so long. I'm going to cue it. I'm going to say it, and you have to come up with something. Now, of course, you have the ability to edit the hummada, hummada, hummada space, so that's up to you. But are you ready? You yes. don't even know what I'm going to say. I have no idea. All right. Jeff. I miss this so much. So here is my favorite co-host, my brother from another mother, Jeff Cohen, who I'm so glad to be back on this podcast with you. You have no idea with a baseball rant. Well, thank you, Len. Thanks for putting me on the spot. <laughs> I, 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 I do have a good friend of mine who I, I text with a lot a friend of the show, and he's a big Yankee fan, and he sent me an article saying how Yankees were the top most valuable team in all sports. And I said, so what? Big deal. What did, he was so proud of that fact. Best, most profitable, the, the most valuable of all sports, the New York Yankees. And I said, what does that do? How much, how much do you get out of that? I mean, you obviously, uh, unless you're an investor, you, don't, you get zip, squash, you get zero. You know, we're a fan of the Mets. Mets were listed sixth. I guess this is the baseball list. But Mets were listed sixth. And I said to, I said to him, you know, I feel bad for the, the, the worst, the lowest valuable baseball team. Big deal. I, I would hate to be that person because it is the lowest value. Still, a billion dollars holding any fundraisers, and he said to me that it was, oh, you know, well, Derek, man, it's Derek Jeter, they invested $1.2 billion, and it's only worth $900 million. I said, okay, I'm not having any fundraisers for Derek Jeter, you know? <laughs> Big deal. <laughs> Once they get their team with better players and, and start competing, it'll be up there as well. But does it really matter what rank your value your team is? Does it really matter if Cleveland Indians are ranked, I don't know, 12th? Oh, who, who cares? Does it really matter? That's my baseball rant. All right. Well, I will tell you, one, I missed that. Man, <laughs> did I miss that. Two, as far as these, what a team is worth, okay, your buddy who sent you that, if the Yankees were not ranked number one, I know that it would have been, well, they should be ranked number one. They must have gotten it wrong. But the other thing is, 
there are only a finite number of teams. So no matter what they're ranked, I think the Marlins, I think I saw that the Marlins were ranked 900. I think uh, not, they were 900, 980 million or something. But because it, you can't just go and buy a baseball team, nobody, you're not spending 980. No. You're spending a ton more because you are buying, not only buying a team, you're buying the right to have the team and be one of 30 owners. Yeah. That's the thing. That's part of what you're paying for because there's a finite number of teams. You can't just, it's not like starting a business and buying a business. You have to buy an existing team unless it's an expansion team. Right. So you're paying more. Jeter paid more. Well, it wasn't just Jeter. It was Jeter his paid, group. Paid very little. He's like a 2% owner. Right, right. Else. The but they group paid more. But you know what I mean. Yeah, they paid more. Now, maybe the team's not worth what they paid, but it, it will be. You're right. And they will get back. I guarantee you, if they went to sell that team now, they'd get back what they paid. Absolutely. They'd, they'd get it back. They're not, nobody's taking a loss. Because these, these, the people that can buy these teams are going to overpay. Look at when the Mets were supposedly selling to your, uh, your Uncle Cohen. Yeah. <laughs> right? He was paying for what? Like, I think he was going to own 80% of the team. Yeah. And he already owned a portion, a yeah. small portion, right? Yes. Right. He was going to own 80. Wasn't he paying like $3.3 billion or something? Ridiculous amount, yes. Yeah, and, and he was only going to own 80%, not even the whole team. Because, and, and he was talking about how, you know, he was already having the owner's box and he was having people and he was going to, you know, all these things. It's the prestige. It's not just what the team is worth. Right. You know, of course, the Yankees are worth a lot, but they're not the highest uh, valued franchise in sports. I think what that's uh, like a soccer team in England. Is that, is that Liverpool or is that a uh, they Manchester might, it might United be. or something? Might be, but I know the Dallas Cowboys were worth more. Huh? I think I think the Dallas Cowboys are worth more than the Yankees, which I don't get. Neither do I. How could a team that plays you know eight home games a year be worth more? But I think that's what it said. I'm not you know if I'm wrong. TV money, TV money. That's that you know it puts a lot of things into worth. Right, but now that includes so the worth of the Yankees that includes the Yes Network. I'm assuming it does. I I don't know. Probably. So probably. Yeah. See you next time on Baseball and BBQ. Any final words? Just glad that everybody's listening. Glad to be with you guys. Jeff, glad to be back with you. And uh, everybody stay safe. Take this thing seriously. And uh, looking forward to seeing you all on the – to having you all listen to us for the next episode. All right. Till then, next time, see ya. See ya.